Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shante, and Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well. So we are wrapping up the self-sabotage series, and I hope that you all have been blessed and benefited from it so far. Tough love is often necessary (laughs) in these times, but as we kind of enter like the spring season and we're talking about transformation and renewal, it really is important to start with that that spring cleaning of self, okay, to start with kind of like that self-assessment. And as I was really just kind of thinking about who I wanted to bring into this conversation, I was really excited to bring this young lady into the conversation for a few reasons, because she and I have a lot in common. She and I both are both mental health advocates, but she's an actual clinical therapist. She is a young lady, a young Black professor that is really representing the mental health and wellness space in these streets out in Jersey and Stockton University, Dr. Terrilyn Battle, who was originally from the South. And she and I were just having a conversation about why people move from warm weather states to cold weather states, you know, but <laughs> she, um, she graciously agreed to be on the show today to talk about some of these things that we do, some of the disconnects between what we say we want versus what we actually do and self-sabotage. So Dr. Battle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to have you here. Like literally, this is one of those things because she and I both work at institutions where there's not a whole lot of Black people. So like if she and I were at the same space, we would be like, hey girl, hey, like it's one of us. (laughs) (laughs) Doing, you know, we got to, we got to hold on. We got to stay tight and together. But, but let's get into that part, right? Let's get into this dynamic And I think maybe in the psychology space, I think you all all call it dissonance, right? Like there's a disconnect between what we say we want to do, what we say we want to achieve, the kind of relationships we want to have, the kind of money that we want to make, um, the kind of platforms that we want to produce and, and how we want to show up in the world. And then we don't. And Mm -hmm. then we procrastinate and then we get distracted or we allow distractions or we allow June bug to roll up with, Hey girl, (laughs) Hey, big head, you know, something like, so what is happening there? And I realize that it varies for each person, but just based on your expertise and and the types of things that you've encountered, what are the types of things you're noticing with why that happens? I think a lot of times that can happen from the exposure of imposter phenomenon. And I'm a big, proponent of learning what that is so that we can kind of stop that cycle and I go into that. But I also have seen where individuals will come to me and say, hey, I acknowledge and recognize there are some generational curses that may have been present in my family. And I want to um, quote unquote in those. So how do I get started? But once we get into a habit, once we've been exposed to something that has been habitual, then we kind of have difficulty navigating our ways out of that consistent cycle. And imposter phenomenon is, it tends to display emotions of when an individual who is a high achiever or individuals who are fully capable of their abilities and their successes, they start to see their successes as um, diminished opportunities. So those successes are limited and they start to see themselves as a fraud or they tend to say, Mm. all right, well, I have the skills, but can I really do that? For example, we all, if you've gone to college or if you've gone to school, had some kind of academic exposure, you have some individuals that tend to 
say, you know, school wasn't for me. Right. But it doesn't mean that they don't have the cognitive ability to perform. It doesn't mean that they don't have the finances or the, the security to perform. A lot of times, sometimes that imposter phenomenon would make them say, you know what? I'm having difficulty recognizing my strong suits and where I can be successful in this career or in this path because of X, Y, and Z that has happened in my life. Or this is just luck that mm-hmm. I got a 4.0 in my classes. I don't study. It just happened. Okay. So let's pause here because Dr. Battle, you just said a whole lot. I don't know if you knew this <laughs> about me, but every now and then I will pull the pink tambourine out on uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, I think she and I have like been on like panels together. Me and Dr. Uh Battle have been on panels together before. And I think she has seen the tambourine before. And she probably thought this chick is crazy. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) But but let's pause here for a minute because you said a a couple of things that I want to unpack. So first of all, imposter phenomenon or imposter syndrome, sometimes it's called, is this notion that even if you are high achieving or that you've achieved some level of success, it's where you attribute that success, right? So attribution theory, it's, it's um, that locus of control, like, oh, you know, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time on the right day, you know, and that was just the luck of the draw. It's yeah, that yeah. we don't believe that we are innately capable or we don't believe our own hype. We can't seem to drink our own Kool-Aid. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Or it's, or it's more so, oh, well, I got this opportunity because I knew, you know, Sarah, mm. Sarah who know Bill. Yeah, mm. Bill know my mama. So he hooked me up. He made this happen. So this is how I fell into this role. This is how I got this job. It's and they don't believe that we have the goods to carry it out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So this is important, listeners, because... One of the things that I think has kind of been a through line through this series and and certainly in what Dr. Battle has just said is that as a man thinketh himself to be, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, he becomes. And if you don't think that you are or you don't think that you can or you don't think that you have the tools or the wherewithal, then you will find a way to to sabotage that Mm -hmm. opportunity. You will find a way to do that. And this comes up in so many ways. Like you might have like a big presentation on Friday and Thursday night, you start drinking. Like you, you know (laughs) that, you know, you don't do well with a hangover. You know that alcohol affects you a certain way and you will find a way to set, or you won't set the alarm or it will be something that you do on some, I'm assuming some subconscious level Uh to make sure that, you are not successful in that endeavor. It's like you are almost, it sounds like you're almost creating Mm -hmm. a ceiling for yourself. You're creating the excuse so that when it doesn't work out, you're like, ah, see, man, if I had set that alarm, (laughs) ah, man, see if, if I hadn't have been drinking, ah, man, see if, if that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And imposter phenomenon can present in two different ways. So you have the imposter cycle where the individual could be, the perfectionist and the individual can be the procrastinator. Essentially, they go through that same old cycle where it's the event or is something that's happening that pursue, that produces a, uh, a rush of emotions for the individual to cycle through. 
And then once you've somehow accomplished whatever task you were performing, whether you are looking at it from the stance of being a procrastinator or a perfectionist, once you get to the end and you get the feedback from people, oh, you did such a great job. Oh, really? I just put something together and it stuck. Okay. That's the procrastinator view for the, the perfectionist. Oh, you think that was amazing? Oh, wow. Well, I made a 100, but I, you know, I could have made a, if you gave extra credit, I could have made a 105, you know, it's because never I, good enough. Right, that just wasn't good enough for me. Like, I know I got all the answers right, but I know I could have elaborated more. I could have done something more profound than what I produced. So once we go through the feedback, we, we feel a little relieved that anxiety is lifted a little bit from both lenses, procrastinator and the perfectionist. And then all of a sudden, we're faced with another new task, a new project, a new, um, a new opportunity, if you will. And then that cycle starts all over again. So when you talk about, you know, the individual that may possibly drink before having to take on a task the day before, knowing that they're going to produce some kind of uh, pr probably behaviors that are different from their normal behaviors, that is that can be something where an individual could, um, and I'm trying to choose my words wisely, but it's, it's something that an individual, they might produce more anxiety, which heightens their ability to not see themselves as being successful. Mm -hmm. And then they spiral and, and go into that space of, yeah, I can't do this. I'm never going to be good enough to get this job or do this task. It's interesting, a word that you keep saying and repeating is like cycles and patterns, right? Mm -hmm. And listeners, you know, if you've been listening to me for any amount of time, I think patterns of behavior are really telling, okay? So sometimes, I mean, we all have bad days. We all have one-offs. We all have moments that we are not proud of or said some things in the heat of frustration. It was like, oh, that's not my usual MO. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about patterns, things that, 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 reoccur. And I want to go back to something that you talked about when you said how there are people who talk about breaking generational curses or seeing generational patterns kind of like reoccurring in their families. And this is key too. And this is something that Dr. Battle and I were literally just talking about before we went live is how representation does matter, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have like this origin story or this family of origin where nobody in your family is really popping off, you know, nobody in your family has really reached the heights of success. You don't have a lot of models. You don't have a lot of exemplars. Right. And that can make it kind of difficult and, and challenging to navigate that space on the one hand, and then on the other hand, when you're trying to figure out how you're going to kind of live out the calling on your life or, or leverage your gifts, you know, to their highest success and, and possibilities, or you see other people that are doing that, sometimes we write off other people's success and be like, oh, well, that's because they know Jay-Z. Jay-Z is their cousin. Or, you know, <laughs> or, or that's because, you know, they don't have no kids, you know, like, so for example, people think about like Oprah, right? Like, oh yeah, well, you know, imagine what I could do if I didn't have no husband, if, if I didn't have no kids, you know, my, my, but baby, it's lots of people who don't have husbands and kids, you know, right. and don't have Oprah level success. So can you talk about that piece of it a little bit? 
Yeah. So I, and I'm going to self-disclose because I think it might give um, some context. So I am one of four children. I am, I, I used to be so upset when I was a child, not at my siblings or anything dealing with my parents or any of that. Absolutely love and adore my family, come from a very close-knit family. Uh, I'm very family-oriented. But when I was growing up, I noticed that I had, God had given me so many gifts and it was so frustrating. I was, I was mad because I was like, oh, okay, talk about it. I was like, you gave me this, I could do this and I could do this. Why are you giving me all of this? I can't handle all of this. What am I supposed to do with all of it? And I was trying to find my rhythm of things. My sister could crochet. She's very crafty. Um, My mom's side of the family and my dad's side, very musically inclined. So I never learned the, the basics of music, but I've always sung. So Girl, let me find out you out here pitchy and flat. Don't, don't, don't be embarrassing <laughs> the family. No, see, that would get me. Mama would get me. But see, I, we grew up, my sister and I, I was the soprano. She was the alto. Okay, we were okay. together and I wanted to learn how to play instruments. My mom taught herself and I remember going through, I knew so many people that played piano and I was like, hey, can you teach me? They'll say no. Can you teach me? No. Can you teach me? And I just knew someone was going to say yes. But eventually they said, no, I want you to, I want you to teach yourself. That's what my mom told me. I want you to teach yourself. I think you can do it. So I started learning how to pick it up and eventually I was overwhelmed because I knew how to draw. I knew how to um, sing. I knew how to play instruments, all of that. But I didn't know what the why was. I didn't know the purpose of all of this. But I knew it was a reason why he had given me the skills. Mm -hmm. So what I started to do is self-sabotage my giftings and my abilities because I wasn't as good as someone else that I heard play the piano. I wasn't as good or wasn't picking up as quickly as someone else who touched the guitar. So I looked at it as, oh, they have formal training with music. I don't. So this is going to be, this is, this is going to be terrible. I started playing in churches and I was like, oh, what if I press the wrong thing? So I started self-sabotaging every thought that I had about music and ran from it even though that was one of the core heartbeats of my family. Oh, wow. So wow. The, the whole notion of generational um, cycles or wanted to break a quote unquote generational curse. And I say quote unquote, because I, and people might get me for this, but I, I hate that there's a negative connotation to the general, the, the generational aspects of the culture in which we identify to. Because if that happenstance wasn't there, would you be who you are now? So I think it makes way for an individual to look back and say, hey, I see the navigation of my family and see the navigation of these generational happenstances, but I can shift them. If I'm aware, and I think awareness starts to play a part on it. You know, are you talking about like the historical uh-huh. Kind of like context of, you know, how music kind of like came into being, not music came into being, but certainly for African-Americans, mm-hmm. the spirituals and things like that, it does come from a dark place. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of became mm-hmm. like our saving grace and, and a means of survival. And it was 
it was it's kind of a, a double-edged sword so on the one hand it's kind of like adaptive like you do what yeah. you have to do to survive but then on the other hand it's kind of maladaptive because that's what we kind of become known for it's like the mm-hmm. entertainers so to speak mm-hmm. you know not the scholars not the leaders not the what have you's you know we are the ones who can sing who can dance who can throw right. a ball and that sort of thing right. so I see that and sometimes it can make us hesitant to walk in those gifts because some gifts come with some baggage yeah with some some historical narratives that we're not entirely comfortable with. But what I also hear you saying is that we can begin to shift those narratives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that that's the key indicator to kind of ceasing those self-sabotaging notions and in navigating imposter phenomenon. What is the shift that you want uh to make? Mm -hmm. And how are you being aware? I tell my students all the time that Multicultural competency comes from a space of knowing yourself and being aware of how you show up, not only for other people, but how you show up for yourself. So if I'm aware of the bias and the prejudice and the inconsistencies that I may have in my judgment with individuals, it shifts me from a space of being so negative in my thought to being more open-minded when I interact with people. And in that interaction with people, I have to learn myself. So it shifts my perspective in my thought process of what I think about myself and how I show up and interact with others. From there, I'm gaining a knowledge base of that awareness. And then I'm I'm um, employing skills to help me be successful when showing up for myself and for others. You said something that's really key here. Um, this notion of knowing yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Because the 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 theme, the series here is self-sabotage. And listeners, here's what I want you to pick up on what Dr. Battle is, is alluding to. Knowledge of self is really important because to her point, it's very easy for us to root and cheer for other people. I'm like, mm-hmm girl, you are a baddie, girl, you're doing a doggone thing, bro, you out in the streets, I see you, blah, 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 blah. But the thing is, for the most part, no matter how long you've been friends with somebody, how close you are, whatever, you're never gonna know the whole story, okay? You're you're never gonna know the whole story. You know, you might be familiar with most of the cars in the deck, but there's always a few hold cars that just ain't never gonna come to mm-hmm. the surface. But the thing is with self-sabotage, you know, your story, right? You know, where you come from, you, right. you know, as, as the black people like to say, I don't look like what I've been through, huh. you know? <laughs> so, you know, what you've been through. And sometimes you still are not quite resolved mm-hmm. with respect to like, dang, how did I get here? How did right. I become the rose that came out of concrete? How did I come from this abusive, this toxic, this, chaotic this craziness into Mm -hmm. this place of success and there there might be a narrative a thread that's telling you that based on what you've been through and based on your historical construct you're not Mm -hmm. supposed to be here because people that come from where you come from be dead or in jail or you know out in the streets or worse Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's why I gave that example of Uh, my self-disclosure because although I was upset in the past because I didn't know how all of these work for the good of the Lord, I now understand how it shows up for me. In the midst of my self-awareness, 
the things that I was once frustrated with and I self-sabotage, I'm going back to those things to help me with my mindfulness and to become more aware of who I am and, and where I am with other people. So music has now become a space of where I'm, I'm sitting, I'm processing, I'm doing an emotional dump at the end of the day by playing music or just having that time with God, you know? So it goes to show that those things that we ran away from or self-sabotage with, regardless of its physical objects, things, people, whatever, sometimes we're brought back to those things full circle to face them head on and kind of change that narrative and stop saying, all right, well, this isn't self-sabotage, but this is a self-growth moment. If that makes sense. Ooh, shakes tambourine because <laughs> this is actually a, a good segue to where I, I want us to pivot to. So something that I think humans have a tendency to do is stuff and repress. Mm-hmm. That when things are difficult or challenging emotionally, we have a tendency to stuff those emotions, repress those emotions. We don't want to deal with those emotions, but it sounds like in order for us to turn the tide and turn the page and shift away from self-sabotage, we have to be present to ourselves. We have to be present to those feelings. So can you talk to us about what it means to be present to those things? Because people are definitely afraid of negative emotions. People are definitely afraid of oh my gosh, I don't want to feel insecure. Oh my gosh, I don't want to feel neglected. Oh, I don't want to feel abandonment. I don't want to feel, they don't want to feel those things. And so they find other ways to distract themselves from having to do that. But it sounds like in order for us to really get to the bottom of this, we're going to have to show up and be present with those things. So what does it mean to do that? Well, for me, it has looked, it has, it has been a journey. <laughs> I'll be honest with that. And I, I want to be honest and transparent. I don't know how else to be. I'll say that as a clinician, a lot of people look at counselors as if, all right, well, they have it all together. They, you have superpowers. Yes. Well, you know, my cape goes off every now and then. And, you know, I just, I bump that cape. (laughs) Right. Right. And I have to be like, I'm really big on, I, I care for my clients immensely, but I'm no good for them if I'm no good for myself. And I am honest with myself when I feel like I just need to detach for a little while now, I do that. And I, I believe that if we, you, you said it beautifully, we don't like to look at those negative emotions. We do not like to sit in the hurt of things. We don't like to embrace that anxiety. And as uncomfortable as it is, I think that it's a moment to... And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to preach or nothing, but, but, you know, you know I we already have the tambourine and the organ, <laughs> yeah. you're a soprano, I'm a soprano, like, you know, we can make the magic happen for the listeners today. I will, I will be right there with you in the Negro spiritual. <laughs> but yeah, like, say yes. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel very strongly about the notion of being present for yourself because how I, I've learned more about how God loves me and show up for me by embracing and kind of nav- navigating my way through those 
emotions that I did not want to feel. Mm. Um, I have been able to call out, all right, that's a little bit of pride that you're sitting in right now. Did you show love to this person? What, when you raised your voice, was that a demonstration of love? I was on the phone with one of my friends on Sunday and she challenged me. She said, hey, go get your Bible, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And when I read it, I was like, if we went by the biblical context of what love is, do we really show ourselves love? Do we really show each other love? Because listen, love y'all hear that confirmation? We did a self-love series like two series ago, and that was the exact scripture that I used. Oh, really? Yes. Well, y'all heard it. it. Y'all go back and listen to that. <laughs> Come on. But if if I am being intentional with showing up for myself and being present, I have to navigate those things. It's very hypocritical of me to be a counselor and tell my clients, hey, I'm going to challenge you to look in the mirror. I'm going to challenge you to go journal those emotions and I'm not doing it myself. This is a, a deck of cards that I came across some time ago. Mixed Emotions by Patrick Martin. It's not sponsored, but it's a really good resource. Um, okay, we love resources. Yeah, and I love these cards because what they do is I tell my students all the time, the only difference between an adult and a child is the fact that adults pay bills and we have our responsibilities. We don't know how to vocalize our emotions, just like children don't know how to do that. Listen, <laughs> listen. So, so these cards have emotions on them and pictures. And I challenged one of my students. I said, get some of these cards and navigate your counseling session with that. Have your client identify what emotions they're feeling and discuss that. Um, that's something that I do because in order to be able to call out that self-sabotage and the growth that needs to happen, you have to sit in your mess. You have to, Listen. no matter how bad it stink, huh? Listen. No matter how filthy it is, you have to do it. And listeners, here's the thing. You have to be willing to be present with your truth mm -hmm. because we're talking about yourself, your self-sabotage, the way that you show up in the world, the way that you let opportunities slip by, the way that you have a, have a tendency to ruin good things, you know, yeah. that, that come into your life. I remember having a session with my therapist and we talked about my attachment mm. issues, you know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm fearful avoidant. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, Oh, people are not safe. And you know, like this is going to end badly. And so I had to stop. And, and basically what that, what that, how that was showing up was I would tell myself a story that this good thing, this good relationship that's happening right now, this is not going to last. This is going to end poorly because other things have ended poorly, you know, in my childhood. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hasten it to a close. I'm going to all, I'm just going to rush you right out the door because it's going to end anyway. So why waste my time? Why waste your time? Yeah. And she was like, cut that out. <laughs> like you need, you need to, to, when you catch yourself doing that, 
you need to start asking yourself some questions. You need to start interrogating because listeners, self-sabotage doesn't just show up in job opportunities. Self-sabotage doesn't just show up, you know, with money that you spend and money in the bank. Self-sabotage also shows up in interpersonal relationships. Like you can sabotage yourself right out of a good friend. You can sabotage yourself right out of, you know, a good relationship with your family. You can sabotage yourself right out of a good situation with, you know, a spouse or, or potential spouse or what have you. And so even though you are quote unquote self-sabotaging, the ripple effects of what you're doing happen in so many other areas of life. Mm -hmm. And I tend to tell people it's not fair. It's not fair to you. And it's not fair for whoever's on the receiving end because, and I keep, I keep referencing the spiritual context, but I truly believe God is not going to bring an opportunity to you with the intention of it being a moment of sabotage. Like if it's truly for you, then you have to rest in that. You have to trust the navigation of it. It's going to reveal itself. And we, we have to be willing to acknowledge when that is coming up, when we're feeling that act of, oh, I feel like I'm about to sabotage this. I feel like I, now, why, why am I thinking this is too good to be true? Is it because I feel like I don't deserve it? All right, well, why don't I feel like I deserve it? What is the root of feeling that? Because like we stated, you get down to the, the heart of the emotions, it helped reveal the why. And it's not fair that you continue, whoever's listening, it's not fair to continue to allow yourself to go in a place of sabotage because ultimately it's sabotaging the greatness that you have to give to the world. Yes, yes, yes. And listeners, if nothing else, take this with, a, uh, with all the love of which it is intended. Mm-hmm. self-sabotage is a pattern of behavior it is a, a something that you have learned and dr battle will tell you that anything that you learn you can unlearn and, and you know this is that's kind of part of the the whole and complete po- process it's not just what you learn to do it's what you unlearn to do it's not just the patterns that you develop it's also the cycles that you break and disrupt and question and say wait a minute is this real because mm-hmm. i'll be the first to say that a lot of times the emotional experiences that we have are real and valid, but yeah. facts are facts and feelings are feelings and feelings are not always facts. Sometimes mm-hmm. what you feel and the story that you're telling yourself is just not the story. That's, that's not the truth. And we have to be careful and mindful to do all the things that Dr. Battle just said to make sure that we are staying out of that space. I went to a, I had to go to a, what was it? I went to a group, a support group to observe when I was in my master's program. And I would never, ever forget this experience. I went to, I had a really big passion to work with individuals who had a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And I went to the support group and one of the young ladies said, you know what, we're not the crazy ones. They are. And I was like, they, who is they? So she went, she went in and she elaborated. She was like, Everyone that says that they're okay, they're not. 
everyone has a form of distorted thinking. We just Mm -hmm. happen to admit that we have this and Mm -hmm. we're navigating it. And I was like, yo, this is, she's right. Because she just spoke a word. Yeah. Cause she said, how many times, how many times have your friend called you and said, yeah, I called my boyfriend like 15 times. He never answered. And, and then like, I sent him a whole bunch of text messages. He never answered. And I was about to show up, but then he called me and he said, I was at, you know, I'm at work. I can't answer your call. I can't respond to your text messages. And she said, people are blowing up because they're sitting here thinking Telling their themselves all kind of stories. Right. So they're sitting here thinking their navigation is one way when the other person is not that they're trying to ignore you. It's not that they're not present. It's just they're not available at that time. But your distorted thinking is making you think that you're unwanted. You're disregarded. You know, you're not worth being um, attended being- to. Yeah. And the question yeah. is, and where does that come from? Cause that didn't just come up that, that didn't just, you know, pop up on the radar screen. Dr. Battle is saying, you better start pulling that thread and say, okay, where did that thought come from? And how long has it been there? And because what you just described listeners, she described a trigger. So whoever this person was, this person's trigger is when I don't get immediate reassurance from somebody that I love and care about. I am triggered. I am set off. I start spinning into this place where I think that I'm not loved and I'm not wanted and I'm being neglected and abandoned. And the question is, where does that come from? And that, (laughs) that ladies and gentlemen, is how we get to the bottom of the self-sabotage because once you can resolve that, Mm -hmm. then you have a lot more power over it. It doesn't mean that it won't ever come up but at least you can recognize it for what it is and not allow it to take you into some direction that you don't want things to go. Right. And I think you said two important things. You mentioned the subconscious and you mentioned the navigation of attachment theories, right? Yes. And when we talk about where did these things come from, I challenge everyone, if you don't know about attachment, there's some YouTube videos that have walked you through it. They're animated and they're fun to watch. They are fun to watch. We, we are big on attachment in this podcast. Like yes. <laughs> yes. So I, I think that those two things, becoming aware of uh, what is your attachment style? When did you notice that? You know, what was the first circumstance in which that started to that view of what that attachment looked like started to come to form like what what's the root of it and then identifying um that subconscious thoughts like being more aware of the the way things are showing up in your life all right i i was triggered by that where did that come from when's the first time someone yelled at me how did that make me feel did it make me did it just put me back to that experience Is that the reason why I'm responding the way that I am right now? And my mind always goes through questions. I'm an analyzer. So I immediately, when I, when I, someone say something I don't like, and I might, you know, get at them a little bit, (laughs) I might say, Hey, wait a second now, where, where did that come from? Why are you responding in that way? And it'll tell you a whole lot about yourself and So listeners, that that's what it is. When I tell you 
really the the key to happy, successful relationships, I honestly believe, is the work that you do on yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't hold people accountable when they're out of pocket. It doesn't mean that you accept any old thing from any old body. Mm-hmm. But what I am saying is keeping yourself in check, keeping yourself on track, keeping mm-hmm. yourself from spiraling down to the basement is so much work. Baby, I can't do that work and do your work. That's the right. Lord's work. You know, you got right. to do your own work. So we talk about money. We talk about doing self-sabotage because where is the pay? Where is the where's my Ed McMahon check? Ain't nobody cutting checks right. over here trying to regulate you. I'm trying to regulate me. Right. So, Dr. Battle, where can people take action with you? Where can people see your resources? Where can people reach out if, if they have questions or need support? How are you supporting people nowadays and where can they find you? They could find me on um, my website, www.therightbranch.com. And right is spelled W-R-I-G-H-T. Um, on Instagram, I'm at hey.thebattle. Um, and I will put this plug in it. I recognize the work that we, you know, we have to do for ourselves. And I'm working on something as a resource to especially Black women to just channel in and focus and be present with yourselves. I'm I'm working on something with that. So if you uh, follow, I keep you posted on that and check out the website and we'll we'll navigate this self-sabotage together because I'm human too. And it's real. Thank yeah. you so much, listeners. I hope that this blessed you the way that it blessed me. As always, if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, you can hit me up at Dr. Shante Says. You can go show Dr. Battle some love at Hey Dr. Battle. And I will see you guys next time. Thank you so much. Thank you.